Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We're starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. I haven't preached in three weeks, so this might be terrible, but I think it's going to be pretty good, okay? That'd be really good, okay. Well, no pressure. So last week, Pastor Jim from Redemption Tempe came up, and, and I just got to listen to the sermon last night, and I thought it was powerful. I thought it was really good, okay? And so if you didn't hear last week's sermon, go back and listen to Jim, okay? I also listened to Anthony's sermon, which I missed two weeks ago. I also thought that was really good. And if you missed that, please go back and listen. Here's why. Mark is a narrative. It's a story. And so everything builds on each other. And so if you want to stay with where we're at today, it's going to help to know where we've been. And so go back and listen to those. But I'll give you a little glimpse. Last week, Jim came up talk to us about Jesus calming the storms amidst a bunch of disciples and apostles in a boat that were freaking out. Okay. So he has this moment where, where the seas are roaring and, and everything's going crazy and Jesus asks them why they are scared and he calms the seas. And they land with this question to themselves and to everyone else saying, who is this man? Who is this guy that even the waves obey him? And that question is going to be the question, I think, for the rest of the Gospel of Mark, Paul will continue to address. Continue to answer, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Because all of us are being asked that question today by me and by the world, by God. Who is Jesus to you? How do you view him? What has he done? What type of person? What type of savior? Who is Jesus? And so the gospel of Mark's going to help answer that. Okay, so Mark 5, if you don't have a Bible, the guys are going to come around and give you a Bible. I want you to follow along. So raise your hands. Don't feel weird about it and grab a Bible. Follow along. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. Please take this and take it on your way out. So that was last week. Okay. This week, we move into what is uh, one of the more popular stories of Scripture, okay? That, that even myself, who was outside the church for a long time, even I had heard this. But I remember the first time it was taught to me. Now, I grew up in Slidell, Louisiana, which is a small town in Louisiana, and I wasn't a Christian, okay? Everyone was Christians. My family was not Christian, and so my parents didn't get, they weren't, they're, well, my mom's Christian now, but they weren't then, and so I wasn't raised in the church. But I had friends who were Christian, and if I stayed at their house on a Saturday night, I've said this before, I'd wake up on a Sunday morning, I was not allowed to go home unless I went to church with the family first, okay? So they would drag me to church, and I remember going to Sunday school with my buddy Chris and sitting in at this Sunday school class where they're teaching this story about the demoniac, okay? Now, the Sunday school teacher was a very old, old, sweet, sweet old lady, okay? I mean, just probably an eyewitness to this story. I mean, just going, going back, right? Um, but just the sweetest lady. I remember thinking, wow, she's so nice and sweet and giving us water and treats and stuff as she teaches this lesson about the demoniac. And she's got that old lady voice, which I will not do because it'll be probably offensive. But the oldest really library woman, if you remember Church Lady from Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey, I mean, it's that. It had the full, like, pantsuit situation going on, just a sweet lady. And she tells this story, and she's saying, man, this is in Jesus, and he does this, and he gets off the boat. And then in the story... Jesus is going to have this confrontation with this man who's possessed by over 2,000 demons. These demons would be cast into a bunch of pigs who will then go and essentially commit suicide. Okay, that's, that's the story, paraphrased. But as she begins to teach it to us, she's got the sweet voice when she's talking Jesus. It's like, oh, you know, Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and here he comes. And as soon as he asks the question, as soon as she says, 
what is your name? She goes, my name is Legion. Right? 80 plus year old woman, right? And everyone in the room is like, ah! you know, like little kids screaming because this woman turned, she was the demoniac. Like we found him, right? I mean, like he never left the pigs. It was unbelievable. And I remember thinking like, this is, what is happening? And she tells this whole story and she would go back and forth in these really sweet Jesus voices and this crazy, guttural, creepy, it's Halloween, and I'm 85, and I'm scaring kids. I mean, like, it was just, and so that was my first experience with this story. Now, I don't know what your first experience, if you grew up in the church, what your first experience with this story was, or what your beliefs are about this story already, what's going on, what's happening, but it's not that creepy, okay? And so what we're going to do today is hopefully see and help answer the question, who is Jesus as he establishes further his authority as God? His authority, not just to the Jews, but across the world. Because what we're going to find is as he enters into this land, it is the first foray of Jesus to go outside of Jewish land and into Gentile land. In other words, he's beginning to engage with people outside of the Jewish people, beginning to engage with the whole world. This shows the gospel is for all. The gospel has no border. It has no boundary. The gospel reaches to the ends of the earth, and it begins here with the ministry of Jesus. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, here's how we're going to look at the text, starting with this one. As I was going through it, here's what I found. I found that there was this gospel thread that runs through this entire story that speaks to the reality of how the gospel interacts with every man, woman, and child on this earth. And it's six parts. I'm going to give you the first one before we start jumping into breaking down verses 1 through 5 here. The first one, because it's not inherent in the text, is that God has created all man, all women, all children, all people in his image. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Every man, woman, and child has been created in God's image. Perfect. Beautiful. Okay? We image him, we reflect him, we represent him to the world. Now with sin, we do that in brokenness. We don't do that perfectly as we were intended to do before. Okay? But everyone was created in God's image. This world, the universe, was created in God's image, perfect, without blemish, and then sin comes. So that's part one of this six-part thread we see in the story. Okay? Everything was perfect. God was made in man's image. Now we get to this story, verses 1 through 5. Jesus gets off of this boat. We remember the story, right? He had just calmed the storm, gets off of the boat, walks on, and as soon as he gets off, what happens? A man charges him, right? A man runs at him, and you just imagine Jesus already and his disciples probably getting in a defensive posture. Who is this guy? He's crazy. He's got chains hanging off of him. What is going on? Okay, so this is the scene that we get, and here's what we know. Part one, God's created in man's image, but part two, man is bound by sin. And so what do we see here? We see a man who, for all that we know from the story, has been a man that has been afflicted, a man that has been persecuted, and a man that has been pushed down. 
We know that this man is possessed. We don't know yet by how many demons, but we know that he has been uh, labeled an outcast of the outcasts. This guy was, I mean, if there was someone you just did not associate with, it's this guy. He was living in the tombs with dead people. No one would speak to him. And yet he has this boldness to charge at Jesus, the Savior of the world. And this is the scene that we have. Okay. This outcast running to Christ again. Once again, we're going to see Jesus establish himself that he will do anything, offend anyone, go anywhere, be anything he needs to be to accomplish his mission, which is to transform the life and the world through the power of the gospel. Okay. And so this man comes forward bound by chains, but we remember that we are all bound by sin. That sin binds all of us until we are set free. Let's see, we're born, and the moment you make a terrible decision, right, sin is all over you. Someone once said that the easiest proof of original sin is that the first word of a baby is always no. <laughs> like the first thing they just really learn how to say, no, right? Or the other day, Finley, and he's eight months, nine months, mind you, and he's sitting down on the floor, and he's sitting next to Oliver. He's in his little puggle, Oliver's little bed. And Oliver's got a toy, and Oliver is a dog, so he smells, and his breath's terrible, and he's full of germs. And, uh, and so he, he leans over and goes to grab Oliver's toy, right? And I look at him, I say, Finley, no. And he looks at me, and he smiles, and what does he do? You can guess. Bam, grabs it, right? And it looks up like this, right? And I say, let it go. And he goes, ha! And he grabs it. And he goes, you idiot, right? He didn't didn't say that. We were all born into sin. So this man afflicted by all sorts of things in his life, he is dealing with social pressure. He's dealing with emotional brokenness. He's dealing with physical pain. He's experiencing the the, the full weight of the brokenness of this world in this moment. And he's possessed by 2,000 demons, as we'll see. So this guy's, it's not going well for him in life. And yet Jesus is about to have this powerful interaction with him. That as far as you think you could be from God, you're never too far for his grace. You're never too much of an outcast. You've never done too much wrong. And here's the thing. You can never do too much right either. So if you're on the legalistic righteous side of it, that's not good for you either because you can't do enough to earn it. And so we get this man who runs to Christ. Part two is that we're all bound by sin. He was bound, a bound man. What we also see, even a couple weeks ago, last time I was here to preach, Jesus was giving this, or last two weeks ago when Anthony preached, he was giving this parable about how um, a strong man must go into a house, or a man must go into a house to bind a strong man before he can plunder his home. Essentially saying that when Jesus came and established his authority and established his kingdom in this world, he bound Satan so that he would have authority over all things. That everything he's doing in the gospel, he does by his power and his authority. And so again, remember, who can bind the strong man was, the, was a question in the parable. And the only answer was Jesus. And the same answer reminds here. The only man that could ever remove the bounds that this man is tied up in is Jesus. The only person that was out there that could actually help this poor soul was Jesus. Because he looked, he tried other things, and it just never worked. And so he goes, and now he runs to probably the only person that could ever actually help him. Verse 6. 
And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, there are just a tremendous amount of pronouns in this that make it somewhat confusing about who's talking. So let me just give you the paraphrase. Okay. Jesus walks up. Guy comes to him. He says to Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, what we see in the text, though, is it's not him that's speaking. It's the legion, the demons inside of him that's doing the speaking. So what we have is the man himself is the one who runs to Jesus. But when he gets to Jesus, the person that speaks is the demon inside of him, which is kind of crazy. You've got kind of these two things, natures happening together at the same time. This battle that wages between this man and the demons that haunt him and possess him. Okay. Again, I just find so many similarities to our life, and not that everyone here is necessarily possessed by a demon, but the constant struggle we have in the battle we have between flesh and spirit. The constant battle that we have between, okay, this is what I want to do, this is where I'm going to go, but then something else goes before us, and we make a poor decision. And consistently we see this man living in this dualistic world where I don't know what's right because he's not himself. His identity has not been secured and he has not been transformed. Okay. So part three of this is that Jesus sees past this brokenness and he calls this man out. Okay. Jesus sees past the brokenness. He sees past the societal Injustice. He sees past the sin. He sees past the demons, and he calls this man out the same way he does today. So part three of that gospel thread that we see in this is that in the midst of our sin, the midst of our brokenness, Jesus Christ has called us out to himself, that we would be his, that our identity would belong to him. Okay. It's a big shift for this man being called out by this Savior when, when no one would speak to him, but then this guy says, no, no, I'll, we can talk. Okay, we can talk. And so he has this, this discussion. He sees this brokenness. Okay. And he says, notice in the, uh, or was it, in verse 8, it says, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. In other words, Jesus had already been communicating multiple times with the demons inside this man to leave and they had not left. So Jesus offers up this ultimatum. He says, listen, we can either do this the easy way or the hard way. You can either go on your own and do whatever you guys do in your off time, okay? Or I'm going to force you out. They don't take his advice, okay? And they're going to choose the hard way, which you're about to find out. What's happening in this text is an acknowledgement by the demons of the authority that stands before them. They're saying, listen, okay, we get it. Why do you torment us? We know that if you want to get rid of us, you can just get rid of us. Why are you playing this game with us? And so I find it fascinating that so many times in the, in the Gospel of Mark and throughout the Bible, you see demons that seem to have a greater understanding of Jesus' Lord than we do. You see these guys say, no, no, you have all authority. You can do whatever you want to me. I sit at your feet. 
And then consistently, I hear stuff in conversations, I hear stuff preached, and I hear stuff in our church and the church. Man, well, no, we're more in control of our lives than we think. And we've set aside Christ as Lord. See, when he's Lord, that means he speaks into every aspect of your life. That means there's nothing he can't touch. That means when you say yes, but he says no, you do no. That's what it means to have him as Lord. They acknowledge, demons acknowledge his lordship. You could do whatever you want, Jesus. Why are you even asking? Why, why are you messing with us? Husbands, it's, it's, it's like this. If, if, uh, you know, if, if your wife's ever asked you, hey, you know, blue or gray? And you're like, oh, blue. Nah, I like gray. Okay, why'd you ask, right? It, it, it's just, it's, it's that. It's, it's like, oh. Usually it's, hey, blue or gray? I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Okay, well, I want you to care. Okay, blue. No, I'm going to go gray. I'm like, well, thanks a lot. Why are you even asking? We know that you have the authority to make this decision. Jesus is Lord. It's going to come back full circle again in just a little bit, okay? Verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. That's, just, that's a creepy woman. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So his answer to what is your name is, We are legion. Now a legion was a group of 6,000 soldiers in the Roman Empire. So we, we don't know if it's exactly 6,000 demons, you know, that was in there, but there were a lot of demons possessing this man. He says, we are legion, for we are many. And they adjure him, you know, Jesus, we know you have authority. We know you're the Lord. We know who you are. And so please don't cast us out, but let us just go into those pigs over there, right? And, and you know, I mean, classic story, wrong place, wrong time for a pig, right? I mean, just classic You know what I mean? Just sorry. They're just eating. And then all of a sudden, they're possessed by maybe two to three demons each, right? And what do they do? They run off. Is that even? Yeah, they run off and they they drown themselves, okay? But they run off down a steep bank and and drown themselves. And this, this is the story that we get. I mean, like, this is the interaction. Again, just giving some context for the situation. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what has happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Okay? And so, so the herdsmen who own all of these pigs, okay, who are surely frustrated, because, because this has gone very poor for them, right? All of their pigs are now in the ocean, okay? With not good thing. And so they run off to the city, and they say, hey, come and see what has happened. And the people return back, and here's what they see. And it's part four of the gospel thread we see in this. They see a fully transformed man. They see a fully transformed man. Again, a man created in God's image, yet who was bound by sin and brokenness and evil and demons, who was not living in the image that he was supposed to, is called out by Jesus. Come, leave, demons be gone. Come to me, and now he is transformed by the power of God. Part four. Okay. 
What an incredible story. And so here's what you would think, right? You would think that the people would come back from the city, that they would see this, and they would praise Jesus. Like, you would think if you ran and you saw a man who was in chains, who was shackled, who was doing all the things he was doing, who was an outcast of outcasts, who was possessed by 2,000 demons, and you would say, man, he is now different. Praise Jesus. You have saved this man's life. You have done a good thing. Instead, they don't do that. Instead, verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had, possessed, who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Okay. So, the response that would make sense was to praise Jesus. The response that people gave, okay, was get out of here. Was get out of here. Stop, stop messing with our lives. The herdsmen probably thinking, listen, you just destroyed our livelihood. Our finances are in ruin now. What are we to do? Jesus, get out of here. You see, what I, what I think we often find throughout the Gospel of Mark and truly the Bible is that when all of a sudden having Christ as Lord begins to infringe upon your freedoms, upon your finances, and upon your fun, you tell him to get out of here. Okay, when, he, when he begins to say, hey, I, I'm your Lord, and this I'm going to do my thing, my will to accomplish my purpose, which is a mission to redeem all of creation back to myself. When I am doing that, there are going to be things that are going to push up against your freedom, your finances, and your fun. And you have the response to either say, Jesus, you're still Lord, and you're doing something that is bigger, a part of your mission, or get out of here. I've had enough. Uh, you, you know, Jesus, I just, listen, this is, this is great and all, but I, I can't handle the pain. Jesus, say hey, thanks for what you've done, but... If you're not going to let me do this anymore, then, well, I'm out. Well, well, well you know, Jesus, uh, you know, if, if, if you're going to take away all of the comforts of this life that made this thing okay, then you're no longer my Lord. And so I see this consistently, honestly. I see it in my life all the time. I don't think I abandon him. But I'd say daily I make decisions that say, you know what, I think I've got this one. I know better than you. Because I, I want to protect my finances. I want to protect my freedom. I want to protect the, the life that I've set up for myself, my wife, and my kid. Okay. Now, a little moment to this. There is absolutely nothing wrong with any of the three of those things, and I want to make sure you get that. You should care for your family. You should provide for your family. You should protect your family. You should seek to do things that are fun and that engage you as a person who God has created you to be. You should care about your future, about your finances. You should care about all of these things. But the moment that they become greater, let me say it this way, the moment that when Jesus says, you don't need it, you tell him no. 
The moment you do that, you're in trouble. When he says, listen, that, okay, no, that is good for you, okay? But right now, I'm pulling it back. If you say no, you don't love him as Lord. At least in that moment. We're sinful. Like I said, I make those poor decisions every day. Praise God, be the grace of Jesus Christ. But this is the consistent, this is that battle that we see this man in as well. Flesh and spirit. Constantly trying to work through the implications of sin in our life. Okay. But understanding the truth. We have to understand the truth. Is that when Jesus calls out the man before and he says, what is your name? And the man says, our name is Legion. Okay. Because we are many. They are now gone. Jesus casts them out. This man's name and identity have completely changed. He is no longer legion. He is, and we don't know his name, he is the man, okay? He, he is, let's call, let's call him Brian, okay? He's Brian now. God made him in his image to be Brian, to be a man who reflects God, who images God, who represents God, that when people look at his life, they would know the beauty and the character and the greatness of God. And he was not able to image that in his former identity, which was legion, But now being transformed by the power of God, he is set free, unchained, unshackled, and is now new again, born again, himself again, returned to the image with which God created him. He is Brian again. And because he's Brian again, because he's himself again, he can sit in the peace and in the freedom and in the joy that comes along with having Christ as Savior. Because although we still make bad decisions, although we can still waffle, although we can still do things where we're like, ah, you are his, and your identity has been changed. Listen, transformation, being made new, is a revolutionary idea. Because it says that you are not who you once were. You are something else. And what you are is what God intended for you to be in the beginning. A man, a woman, a child who can image God through his life and through his proclamation. Okay. So that, that, that's the reality of who you are today if, if you're in Christ. And this is why part five of this gospel thread, with transformation comes mercy. With transformation transformation comes mercy. Verse 19. Go and tell how much the Lord has done for you for how he has had mercy on you. Man, we we should celebrate. We should sing. We should probably dance. We should get kind of weird in thanksgiving to the reality that the God of the universe who had every reason to just wipe this whole thing out decided to instead have mercy upon this world. See, but with that mercy came that transformation. You see, they're, they're hand in hand. He didn't just say, hey, I'm not going to do something and then leave us as we were. He says, oh, listen, I'm going to hold back. I'll relent. I'll care for you. But I'm also going to call you to become who you were supposed to be. The gospel is a full circle type of story where we were here and perfect and it all went wrong. 
But what happens in Christ, when he calls you out and he changes your name back to what it was supposed to be, he restores your identity, he redeems your soul, it goes full circle back to your intention. And it's this story that we see now in part six. Go and tell the world. Do not keep this to yourself. So this guy's like, okay, thank you, Jesus. Let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, you know what? Why don't you go back to your friends and to your family and to the people you know, and you tell them of the mercy of God. You tell them the gospel story. So part six, the last part, the gospel thread here, is that we go and we tell the world about the mercy and the grace and the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ our Savior. And if we don't, we're missing part of the gospel story. Because I just wonder, I, I, I just, I just, I, honestly, I truly wonder, and I question myself all the time, when I think, you know what, here was a prime opportunity for me just to live and proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to my neighbor, to my friend, to a person I don't know, and I shy away from it because of any certain reason, because of fear, because of, I don't know what they'll think, because of whatever, whatever the opposition could be in my own heart. I honestly ask myself, do I think the gospel story is all that great? I honestly have to ask myself, do I believe the gospel story is actually true for my life? I have to believe, I have to ask myself, man, is the gospel really that good? Because if it is, go and tell the world. Go and tell the world. We, it, it is a story that cannot be kept in, and so this man's life was transformed. And so I wonder for us today, do you, have, do you or have you realize the transformation that has happened in your life, Christian? Do you know that God has made you new? Do you realize it had nothing to do with you and had all the mercy and grace of Jesus? I think until we become a church, until we become a people that understand the power of the gospel in our lives, we're not going to have a ton of fun telling other people what the power of the gospel can have in their lives. And so what I want for us, like I said, vision, is, I mean, I would love for us this summer to continually look at Christ and look at his life and look at these stories. And next week, man, we get two more beautiful stories. Jesus healing two women, raising someone from the dead. I mean, it's just going to be fantastic. And I have to tell you, those stories will mean so much more the more you can delve into the transformation you've experienced in Christ yourself. Okay. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you know, we, we don't know how many that is every week, but there's always some of you, and I want to say thanks for being here and spending Sunday morning with us. It's always, I'm sure, different to come to a place that you're not familiar with, and so thanks for being here. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this story is for you. This story, hear me, this story, it is for all of us, but I want to, it is for you this morning to know. That God created you in his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the brokenness and the pain and the evil and the sin of this world has impacted your life. And you're bound by it, okay? You're bound by it, but Jesus today calls you out and says, come. Come and be transformed. Come and experience the grace and the mercy and the salvation that comes in me by following me, by being mine. The last thing I want to say to all of us, this is application for all of us. Non-Christian, Christian. 
today we must declare Jesus as Lord. We must declare Jesus as Lord. And here's, that's exactly what this man goes and does. So in verse 19 and 20, okay, says, Jesus tells him, go and tell your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, right? So he acknowledges Jesus as Lord, and what does he do? He goes away and begins to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. So what Mark is intentionally doing, what Brian has now done, has gone and professed Jesus as Lord. This cannot be understated. He's not just going, hey, this really neat guy transformed my life. I am no longer with demons. He didn't just go away and say, hey, this guy with great moral teaching told me some neat things. I'm going to try and live like him. What he goes and tells people is that the Lord of the universe, the one who has authority over everything, transformed his life. And so for all of us this morning to ask the question, is Jesus Lord? Does he have full authority over your life? That might sound terrifying. But do you believe he's good? Has he not proven to you enough? Every story we've already studied to Mark, every story that's coming, and I think, again, that's what Mark's doing, because I think Mark is asking this question to the readers, is he Lord of your life? And that's why I think he keeps giving a story after story after story about how good Jesus is, about his grace, about his love, about his peace, about his mercy, about his kindness. So is Jesus Lord of your life today? Christian, non-Christian, that's a question we all need to answer. And if he's not, I implore you, I implore me to acknowledge him as such and to make the adjustments accordingly, right? It changes things when you begin to see him for how this demoniac, how this man, all of a sudden now sees Jesus. Before, I think he ran to him thinking, here's just a guy that can help me. But I think he left knowing this is the guy who's the Lord of my life. And I'm hoping that happens for all of us today. That maybe we come in and we say, you know what? Yeah, he's good. But now he's Lord. Now he's got it all. And he can speak into every single part of my life. Don't be scared by it. Because we're going to continually see that this guy who is Lord is the only person you'd ever want to sit on that throne of your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. There's a lot there. I thank you for how you, I mean, just stuff that you convicted me about with it this week. Lord, just, um, And I acknowledge the many times that I don't see you as Lord. I see you as Savior. I'm really excited about the Savior part, God. I thank you. But now that you are Lord and that you can do whatever you want with my life, you can give whatever you want, take whatever you want, say whatever, whatever you want, God, it, it brings sometimes fear to me because I want control. So God, I just pray, I would release it. I pray anyone in here would release that. God, whatever things we're holding and clinging to for security, we're clinging to for happiness, God, that, that supersede you, God, I pray you just expose those. 
and teach us more about what it means to have you as Lord. God, thank you for, the, for Mark and, and Peter and, and the guys we know that were part of writing this. And just, God, just continue to teach us throughout this. Christ, thank you for your cross that sets us free. Thank you that you've called us out today to be yours. And thank you for this story of this, life's man, this man's life that was changed. God, this, it, it blows me away, God. This is just a true story. That there, is, there was a man who was possessed by demons who was set free and can go back and spend time with his friends and family again. That he, he, God, he might have ancestors in this world today because of what we've just read. God, thank you for the gospel story. God, thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your grace. Bless us, Lord. Give us everything we need. Equip us, Lord, to be the people who, in full understanding of who we are in you, of what the gospel is, of how you've transformed us, that we would go to every corner of the city of Flagstaff or wherever we call home with the gospel story that calls people out to transformation, to mercy, and to new life. It's your name we pray. Amen.